Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 so romans chapter 6 we're going to pick it up in verse 15 we're going to read a few verses together and then we'll come back through and we'll wrap up the rest of the text but begin in verse 15 with me paul writes what then are we to sin because we're no longer under the law but under grace By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed. Now let's pause there for a moment. As I have grown older in the Lord and as I've matured some in my faith, there are some people in the scriptures that I've come to identify more and more with. And the one that I identify with very clearly in these years of my life, this stage of my life, and looking back on where I've come from and where I've been is the Apostle Paul. Here's a man, the Apostle Paul, who was really committed to the law. He was committed to the ways of Judaism. He wanted to make sure that he was a proponent for the Lord, for Yahweh. He wanted to make sure that he came against anything that stood against what he had come to know as a young man growing up in a Jewish home. I wasn't raised in a religious home. I was probably a religious, if anything, kind of neither here nor there. But here is how I relate to Paul. And maybe as we discuss this, maybe you can relate to Paul in this sense as well. And the way that I would relate to Paul is that when I first heard the gospel, it was offensive to me. I think as we kind of grow old in our faith, we forget how offensive the gospel is. Jesus actually himself said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, to set household members against household members. The gospel at its core is offensive. Now, as a sidebar, as we're discussing this this morning, I want to make sure that I'm clear here, because in the age of social media, people out there, people in the church have become offensive. You being offensive is not the same as the gospel being offensive. Just because Jesus says the gospel is offensive doesn't mean you have permission to be offensive, right? You need to have a spirit of gentleness as you try to win people to the Lord. But the gospel itself is offensive. Why did I find the gospel offensive, I think for much the same reasons maybe that Paul did, even though Paul was ultra conservative, ultra religious, and I was not religious at all, we both had this that we disagreed with in the gospel, is that how can you look at me and tell me that I am not good enough? Because at its core, what the gospel is doing is it's saying, you're a sinner who needs a savior to pay your debt. 
And that's what I found so offensive about the gospel. Who are you to tell me that I'm not good enough on my own? You don't see the person that I am. You don't see the rules that I keep. And I had my own standards, my own morals that I was very proud of and that I stood upright in. And really, it was an arrogance in my heart. And there was a day, a Sunday afternoon in August 1998, where the gospel finally truly made sense to me. And I can remember it like it was just yesterday. And the preacher was preaching out of a text in Revelation chapter 9. And he was talking about these locusts. The trumpet, the fifth trumpet of God would blast. These locusts would descend upon an unbelieving world. And if you weren't sealed by God, if you weren't protected by the Lord, that they were going to wreak havoc, pain, destruction over humanity for five months. It was going to be so difficult, so desperate a time that people would desire death and they wouldn't be able to die during this time because God is judging. And the pastor said, That's what each of us deserves. It doesn't matter how big your sin or how small your sin might be. One sin disqualifies you from the presence of God. You need Jesus to cover your sin. I had, without knowing it, not been living by the law as in the scriptures, but I had my own moral law that I abided by. And I wasn't ready to surrender the fact that I like to be able to decide what was right and wrong. I like to be able to decide in my own life what was permissible and impermissible. I wanted to be God over my own life. And that day, August 1998, finally I surrendered that. And I realized that I'm not fit to make the law. I'm not fit to make the rules. And I have broken God's law, and I have broken God's heart, and I wasn't holy enough. I wasn't good enough on my own to come into the presence of the Lord, and I needed Jesus to stand in my place. Paul the Apostle had a similar experience. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. He's on his way to basically persecute the church of God. And there on the way, he's met by this overwhelming bright light. And he falls on his face. And a voice comes out and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to resist me or to kick against the goats. It's hard for you to ignore me, to resist me. That's where I had been. I was on my way in my pride and my arrogance, ignoring God, and this bright light overshadowed me, blinded me, so to speak, and immediately I just fell and I said, Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I am not good enough on my own. And here's the thing that was so amazing about that moment, is the liberation that came with that. How freeing that was, that it didn't matter how good I could be. It didn't matter what kind of rules I kept. It didn't matter the kind of person that I was. None of that mattered anymore. Why? Because Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, came and he stood in my place. See, we've been studying in the book of Romans about how we've been liberated from sin. We've been liberated from the law that now grace has come. And my encouragement to you today, what my challenge is for you today, is to really look in your own lives and try to identify those areas of pride and arrogance, those places where you try to say, God, I'm good enough to stand on my own, and you let God humble you, just like Saul fell on his face, God, what do you want from me? Just like me that Sunday in August 1998, God, what do you want from me? That you would allow the Lord to humble you, to bring you to the depths of despair. Will you cry out, you say, God, I'm not good enough to stand in your presence on my own. 
right? Look at what Paul says here. Again, in context, last week we saw how we need to identify with Christ in baptism, that when Jesus went into the tomb, we're going into the tomb with him as our bodies go under the water. We're being buried with him in baptism, and that we walk out of the water. We come out of the water. We're walking out of the tomb from death to life. We can walk in newness of life, and we need to identify with that work. We need to confess that work was done for me, and then we need to appropriate that truth. We need to live in that truth. We've got to own that truth, and Paul can continues this thought process here in Romans chapter 6 verse 15 read it with me again what then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace by no means again he says this is an absurd idea that you think because grace has arrived because you can't out sin God's grace because where sin abounded grace abounds all the more you can't keep sinning just because grace is there now this is what I want to point out to you this morning is that God's law demand something from you. God's law says you need to do something in order to be right with God. God's grace says God has already done it for you. What an amazing thought to think that that I can come from a place where I'm no longer under the law, where I'm no longer obligated to performance in order to earn God's favor or to be right before God. No longer am I obligated to the law. Now I can worship under grace. I can appreciate Grace, I can rest in grace. The law says you need to do something. Grace says God has already done it. Again, you have a choice to make today. Are you gonna try to stand in the presence of God based upon your own merit, based upon your own worth, based upon your own righteousness? Because I guarantee you, you will be disappointed in the day of judgment if that's what you're resting on, if you're resting upon your own laurels. But as we said already, if you trust in the finished work of Jesus, the one who redeemed you. The scripture says we haven't been redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver which perishes, but with the precious blood of the lamb without spot or blemish. Speaking of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot or blemish, the perfect lamb who came to stand in your place. You have a choice to make this morning. Will you choose the law or will you choose grace? Again, the law reveals what I've done wrong but grace comes and rights my wrongs. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, each of you, me, today, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set it aside, having nailed it to the cross. All of your wickedness, all of your sin, all of those times that you failed God, God has removed that from you. He removed that. He took it and he nailed it to a cross. When his body was on that cross, my sins were nailed there with Jesus, forgiven you of that sin. See, this morning we're going to look at three simple points. Very simple. If you're taking notes, it'll be very easy for you. What I want you to consider is whether or not this morning you truly have identified with the work of Christ, if you've truly owned it. And you're going to know this when you see a change in your life. That day in 1998, God changed me. My appetites changed. My desires changed. What I wanted out of life changed. The, the type of music I listened to changed. The people I gathered around myself, the people I kept company with, it all changed in a day, in a moment. My life changed. And if you truly have identified with Jesus, you're going to recognize these three changes in your life. The first one is a change of your master. Again, you're no longer under the law, obligated to rules. You're under grace. 
You're no longer looking for what you can do for God. You're resting in what God has done for you. I love that. So he says there, should we continue to sin because we're no longer under this law, but we're under grace? No, this makes no sense. Absolutely not. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Again, here's this word present. We saw this last week. The word in the Greek means to come and to bow before or to stand before or to offer yourself up as. And the fact of the matter is every single one of us, every single day, make a choice as to whom we're presenting ourselves as slaves to. You wake up in the morning, you roll out of bed, and either you're presenting yourself as a vessel to be used by God, an instrument that God can use. You say, God, I am yours to do with as you please, or you present yourself to the flesh to the worldliness that is out there, and you're pursuing your own passions, your own desires. Make no mistake, you're a slave to something or to someone today. The choice is yours. Now, I want to make clear that you understand this, that just as much as God is worthy of your worship, Satan wants to rob God of that worship. We can see this played out even in the life of Jesus. Another 40, speaking of the significance of the number 40, Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, Right? And the enemy came and tempted Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights. And after the 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you're hungry. Why don't you turn those stones to bread? Jesus replies with a quotation from Scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he takes him, he sends him on the temple, at the top of the temple. And he says, jump off. If you really are who you say you are, God will send angels and will spare you your death. You will not be harmed because the Bible says that you will not cast your foot against a stone or, or stub your toe. So God will preserve you in that. Just jump off. Then everyone will see who you are. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Finally, a third time, Satan puts him to the test. He takes him and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And what does he tempt him with? He says, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will give all of this to you. Do you see that there? Satan says, if you will just worship me, you can have a shortcut. You can spare yourself the pain and the suffering of the cross, and I'm going to give all of this over to you if you will just worship me right now. And it wasn't even so much the worship as long as he could keep the worship from being pointed and directed to God. Right? He doesn't want God to receive that worship. He thinks he deserves that worship. Right? And this is the same way that the enemy treats each of us. Every single day, the distractions come in. You're hungry, spiritually speaking. Right? Prove to people who you are. Now here, look, I'm going to give you all of these blessings and all of this wealth and all of this influence and all of this power if you'll just worship me. Who are you presenting yourself to today? Because, again, you have no one to blame but yourself if you're presenting yourself to the wrong person. Either you're presenting yourself to the Lord or you're presenting yourself to the enemy. You're a vessel that is being used one way or the other and every morning you have a choice. It says, don't you understand, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Again, this word to be obedient slaves, that word obedient slaves, it's the most servile term in all of scripture for a slave. The word is doulos. And in this context, we're going to find four different definitions throughout the sermon this morning. The first one I want you to write down is someone who's born into slavery. And I don't know the last time that you actually considered that this is your relationship with sin. Many of you might be out there thinking this morning, you know what, I've got my sin under control. I can handle it, right? I know when to pursue it and I can shut it off. I have control over it. That's a lie. Sin has control over you. Well, I don't need my sin, or I don't need my addiction, or I don't need that drink 
at the end of the day to unwind. Or I don't need to look at that website or whatever it is on my phone. I don't need it. I can stop whenever I want. No, you can't. You're in bondage to your sin. You're a slave to that sin. You're obeying that sin. We see this in the most spiritual of people, Bible heroes, people of strength and of character that fall victim to sin, fall enslaved to sin. We see this in the story of Samson, and he compromises. He's supposed to take a stance, but there he is. He's kind of associating with the enemy of God's people, and because of it, he ends up bound, grinding into prison, blind. He's in physical shackles because of his compromise. We see this in the story of David, and David is complacent. His way of falling into sin is he's complacent. He should be out battling with God's people, but he's up on the rooftop in the middle of the day looking down, lusting over a woman, and it leads him to lying. It leads him to murder. It leads him to lie after lie after lie. It's just a mess. Why? Because he was complacent. Compromise, complacency. I don't know what your story is or what your sin looks like, but you have some sin that you're struggling with this morning. There's a cell that is built around you, and there's writing all over those walls, and those walls are telling you what the sin is, and it's keeping you shackled. Look at this next portion of this verse, because this this will kind of wrap this up or kind of make sense to you here. Don't you know that who you present yourselves as anyone's to as obedient slaves? You are slaves to the one to whom you obey. That word obey in the Greek means to open the door. You're in that cell. You're locked in that cell. Those words, those sins, those things that cause you shame, regret, and guilt, they're written on your walls. You're surrounded by it. You're trapped by it this morning. And here, the scripture says that you're going to open the door to one or the other. Sin, scripture says this. Look at this. Genesis chapter 4. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is written to Cain. Cain is bitter because his brother's offering was accepted and his wasn't. And God comes to Cain and says, listen, be careful because sin is literally crouching at your door, lying in wait, prowling about. This scripture says that your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. That sin, the enemy, is crouching right outside your door, just waiting to pounce on you and to rip you to shreds. But that's not the only one that's waiting right outside your door. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You have a choice this morning. You can only open your door to one or the other. The enemy, the roaring lion, the prowling lion is lying at wait. Sin is crouching at the door, but Jesus is also knocking the door. Who will you open the door to? Whom will you allow to come into that cell? Because if you allow Jesus in, he will come in and he'll wipe clean those walls. He'll wipe away all of that sin. He'll wipe away all of that shame and guilt and regret. And you will be able to sit and to participate in a meal with him, to become one with him, to share fellowship with him. You can only open the door to one. Again, what does that verse say? It's amazing. You are slaves to the one to whom you obey. You're going to open the door to someone. Who's it going to be? And there's a contrast here. He says you're either going to open the door to sin which leads to death, right? You have this choice. You can open the door to sin, which leads to death, or you can open the door to obedience, which will lead to righteousness. Sin and death, they are common bedfellows. Where one is, the other will always be. 
You will not find one without the other. If there is sin present, there will be death present. If death is present, it's because sin has been there, right? But the opposite of that is if you obey, if you're obedient, then you can be righteous. And the word righteous means to be able to stand before the Lord, right? To be able to stand in God's presence. Now, look at this. This is so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. Look at verse 17. It says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you've been committed. You were once slaves. This is all of our story. Your sin might not be the same as my sin. Your sin might have a different name. Your sin might have had different consequences. But nonetheless, we've all been slaves to sins. We're all the same in the eyes of God. We're all sinners that need a cure, that need salvation, that need cleansing before the eyes of God. That's who we are. Now, listen to this text in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Terrible. But you were dead in sin. You were following after your flesh, right? But then this beautiful phrase, but God. And everything changed. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. Even when you were dead, he's made you alive. He came, but God, God entered into your story. That moment, that day, that road to Damascus like Paul had, that moment in an August Sunday morning in 1998 like I had. What is your but God moment? That moment where you realize that I'm no longer under law. I'm no longer bound by this sin. I no longer have to be trapped by this cell. These words, this sin, this shame, this regret has no more power over me, but I can worship God in grace. What is that moment like for you? When was that moment for you? Again, as you're watching out there today right now, I want to just encourage you. I want you to take a moment and comment in the comment section. I want you to tell me when that day was. Nothing else about it. Give me the date. Give me the time, the date. Just tell me when it was. That but God moment where God entered into your moment, entered into your life, entered in, into your, your story and said you were dead, you were in desperate need, you were following your flesh, you were lost in the world, but I came, but I came. I entered your story. And I saved you, right? You no longer have to call sin and the law your master. You have a new master. And that master is the Lord. That master is grace. His grace is what you can surrender to this morning. So our first point this morning is that we should have a new master. Second point, if you're taking notes, is we should have a new heart. Look at what it says here, why this obedience is different right? There's a difference in the kind of obedience that this is calling us to. Again, verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Obedient from the heart. There's a difference. If I have a list of chores that I'm giving to my children and I write them out and I'm very detailed and like you have to do this and this and this and this and every morning I wake up and I point them to the list. I point them to the chore list and I say, this is what you have to do to please me today, right? Now they can obey. They can obey because of the law. They can obey because those rules are in place, but it means far less if I wake up in the morning and the kids beat me up 
Like, yeah, that, that would be like a miracle these days, right? It's the summertime. If the kids beat me up and every single thing on their chore list is checked off and I come to them and I say, I see that you already completed the chores and they say, yes, we did, not because it's a law, but because of our love for you. We know that this is what pleases you and so we've done it in advance. Before you even had to ask, we know that this is what is a blessing to you. So out of our love for you, Father, we have completed your will. We've done what you've asked. That's the change of heart. It's a change of heart from trying to earn God's favor, that heart that is just trying to avoid God's wrath or God's anger to say, God, it's not that you tell me I can't sin. It's that I don't want to sin because I know that sin grieves your heart and I do not want to grieve your heart. Again, so this text here says that you've become obedient from the heart. The root word for that word obedient here is actually that same word doulos, a slave. And so if you're taking notes, a second definition for this word doulos is one whose will is swallowed up by another's. I want nothing more in life than to be walking in the presence of God's will. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977